0: We're going through the book of Philippians right now, and Paul, a few weeks ago, can you guys hear me? We're going through the book of Philippians, and a few weeks ago, we got to one of the most important verses in the book, and it was chapter one, verse 27, and this is what he said. Paul, looking at the Philippians, he looks at them in the eyes, right, through his paper, and he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we talked about the big idea for that day. Paul said, I want you to represent. I want you to live a life that represents Jesus. I want you guys to live lives that are worthy of someone who claims to follow Jesus. And that's pretty significant, right? Do you see what Paul's doing here? Do we have it up on the screen, verse 27? Paul's not only concerned with, with you guys knowing the right answers. Paul's not interested in a group of Christians who have all the right answers, they know all the right things to say, but they don't actually do anything about it. How many of you have met someone who's like a know-it-all, they know the right answers, but it never translates into their real life, right? It's like, wait, I'm glad you know all the right answers. I'm glad you know all the right answers, but like, so what? What difference does that make in your life? And so Paul, he's saying here, don't be a group of Christians that you get all the right answers, but you don't have any of the right living. You hearing me? Paul wants us to live lives. He wants our lives, our physical lives, to look a certain way that represents the gospel. And here's what he does here's the beautiful part. He doesn't simply give you instructions on how to live that life, he includes the pictures. He doesn't simply tell you young men and young women live like this, live a life that is worthy. He says, no, no, let me show you what a life looks like that is worthy. And so all throughout the book, we've gone through the last couple of weeks. He gives you these examples, right? He gives you word pictures. He's like exhibit a myself, right? And he's like, here's what it looks like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. And he talks about how he's in prison, but he's rejoicing. And for him, He doesn't care if he dies or if he lives. It's all about Jesus. So he points to himself as an example. And then do you remember the next week who he pointed to as an example? Jesus, right? He's like, he gives the instruction. Guys, look, he gives the instruction, be humble. That's what it looks like to represent. But he doesn't just give you the instruction. He gives you the picture. He says, like, Jesus, And he talks about the the picture of Jesus Christ being God. Remember we were up here? And he's like, he was being God in all of his glory. And he descended lower and lower to the point of death, even death on a cross, remember? And now today, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a new picture. Today we have a new illustration. There's a new picture that Paul points to. And it's his homeboys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And you guys are about to meet him, okay? You're about to meet these two guys. And um, I personally wish I knew him because who has the name of Paphroditus? Like seriously, what do you call that for a nickname, yo? Hey, Pap, Epap, yo, Paphro. (laughs) I wonder if Paphro had an Afro. That would be kind of tight, right? But what we're doing today is Paul, he's about to give you two more visual aids. He's about to give you two more examples because he's not just instructing you, he's showing you. And so let's check out the pictures. You guys ready? Philippians chapter two, starting in verse 19. Follow along. It should be on the screen. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, say you know, say you know, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and he's been distressed because you guys heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, he nearly died, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And so I'm the more eager to send him uh, to you, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. And so, Philippians, so, receive him in the Lord, and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so here's what we're doing. We have these two homeboys, right? Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul is giving us a picture of someone who is living out the gospel. Citizens, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, Like this. So let's look at it again, okay? Look at this. This is a picture of someone who's living out the gospel. Look at verse 20. He's talking about Timothy. He goes, I have no one like him. Say no one. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then he says about Epaphroditus in verse 25. I'm sending to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. The first thing we see about someone who is living out the gospel is that they consistently put the needs of others before their own. That's the first thing we see here. Here's a picture of what someone living out the gospel looks like. They consistently put others' needs before their own. And so you've got to know the background here, right? Timothy, he's this young man, and he got saved. He got baptized. He heard Paul preaching, and he says, I'm in. I, I want to live for Jesus, And then he does something radical. All you young guys, maybe you seniors or graduates, you like this. He says, I'm going to go with Paul and travel the world. Why? Because he wants to get out. He wants to explore the world. He wants to see the world. He wants to travel before he becomes a man. No, no, no. He leaves his mother and father and goes and travels the world, not so he can come of age and experience the world, so that he can tell other people about Jesus. Selfless. And then you have Epaphroditus, right? Epaphroditus, he's chilling at home in Philippi, and he gets the phone call, right? And you're like, Sam, there were no phone calls in that time. I know. Go with it, right? He gets a phone call, and it's like, yo, bro, did you hear? No, what happened? Dude, bro, tell me. I know. Listen. Okay. Paul's in prison. What? Wait, wait, what? I thought he had a calling on his life. He's going to go preach to everyone. What do you mean Paul's in prison? Bro, he got beat up. He got jumped. They actually stoned him. They thought he was dead. And so they dragged him out. He got to the next city only to get in prison. No, yo, Paphro, I'm not kidding, bro. Paul's in prison. And so Paphro's like, you know what? Let me talk to the Philippines. And so he's at the church and he's telling his group, right? He's like, hey, everybody, like, I don't know what to do. You guys know Paul, right? Uh, duh, he like preached the gospel to us. Yeah, yeah, you know Paul? Youth pastor Paul, He um, he's in prison, man. He's not doing too good. He got beat. What should we do? Man, well, did you text him? Man, I can't text him. Cell phones aren't existed. Dang, all right. Um, uh, I mean, did you like, did you email? Uh, shut up. All right, all right. Um, yo, Paphro, why don't you go? And so he sends Paphro and Paphro is like, you know what, I'll go. You don't get on a train to travel across the Mediterranean, right? You walk and you take the boat and then you walk some more. And so Paphroditus, he left his home and he went to go minister to Paul because Paul was in prison and he needed it. He was putting Paul's needs before his own. He was putting Paul's needs before his own because that's what someone who has the gospel rooted in their life does. These men, they stand out as valuable members of his team. We realize as we read the book that the Philippians were like, please send Epaphroditus. Please send Timothy. They loved these guys. They loved Paphro. They loved Timothy. You know why? How much do you like being around people who put others' needs before their own? Right? Right? How many of you love hanging out with a person who is so absorbed by themselves that there's like nothing that exists besides their own needs, right? Don't you guys love hanging out with those people? Don't you love hanging out with people and all they talk about is, oh my gosh, like me, 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 right? Like we don't like being around those kind of people. But when you have people like Paphro and Titus or, and Timothy, who they're consistently putting other people's needs before themselves, you want to be around those kind of people. And so he's, Paul says, I'm going to send them back to you so that you will rejoice and here's the key here, friends. Here's what what I want you to understand. Because you look around this room and I see a lot of a lot of, you know, young young guys here, young ladies here, and you guys are just genuinely nice people. And here's what we do. We read about Timothy. We read about Epaphroditus and we say, "That was just their personality." Right? Aren't some people just naturally more selfless than others, right? Don't you guys think so? Right? It's just their temperament. They were probably just nice people, but that's not me. And the reality is, friends, the reason why they put other people's needs before themselves, it wasn't because of their temperament. It wasn't because of their personality. It's because they had the truth of the gospel rooted in their hearts. And here's the gospel. Jesus is looking out for your best interest, so you don't need to. Jesus is putting your needs before his own. He put your salvation, he put your life, he put your eternal destination in his hands. And friends, when you understand the gospel, when you have the reality, the beautiful reality that God is taking care of us, you are instantly freed from the addiction to yourself. When you have the reality of the gospel truly understood in your heart and it explodes in your heart, you're now free from having to get mine. You're free from looking out for number one because you say, you know what? I don't have to put my life in my hands because Jesus put my life in his hands, and so that's what they have here. These are two men that are consistently putting others people's needs before their own. Do you want to preach? Like, you sure? I mean, cuz you look good up there. That was good. All right. That's the first thing we see, right? That's the first thing we see. Let's keep going here. Look at verse 21, all right? Look at verse 21, number 2. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ. This is the second thing we see. Do you guys see the picture? Do you see the pictures, right? Timothy and Paphro. Right, I hope that's not blasphemous to give a biblical character a nickname, but I really like that nickname. Are you guys jiving with that? All right, so you got Timothy and Paphro, and Paul is saying, remember, he's saying, here's what it looks like, here's what it looks like to live out the gospel. And look at the second thing we see. These men are living, li- their, their lives are committed to a cause that is bigger than them. This is number two. Their lives are committed to a cause that is bigger than them. How many of you have been asked in your lifetime, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they even add like a little condescending little boy. and right? You're like, I'm four and a half. Don't disrespect me and my career aspirations, right? <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And then we watch movies like Divergent, right? Which is like blowing up the idea of what will my role be in society, right? We watch movies like The Giver and it's like, oh, everybody wants to know, right? There's like an audience and we come up onto the stage and it's like, I'm going to be given my gift and I'm going to be told what I'm going to do in my lifetime. And friends, all of these things, all these questions and these movies, they blow up this idea and we start to believe this reality. This is what you guys believe. You ready? Ready? we start to have the idea that the whole world is watching, holding their breaths, waiting for the most important decision, your career path, right? The whole world is sitting by waiting for you to tell us all, what will you do with your life? Friends, what if the world was bigger than your specific job? What if life was actually more About more than just what you're going to spend 20 to 30 years doing to make money. What if? Imagine I I come to youth group and I say, hey guys, oh man, I'm so excited. I just made my first appearance in a movie, and you're like, what, no, I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm actually a movie star, don't tell anybody, except everyone, <laughs> and so I want you guys to come and see the debut of my movie, you guys all get free tickets to come see my movie, and you're like, yes, our youth pastor is a rock star, because he's in a movie, and you're like, who else is in the movie, I'm like, Will Smith, <laughs> Denzel Washington, right, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, I call him DiCaprio, right, But that's just because we're tight. You're like, shut up. Who else is in the movie with you, dude? Like, I would tell you, but you'd be so, like, jealous that Morgan Friedman's in the movie. Oops, did I just say that out loud? <laughs> right? And you're like, shut up. I'm there. And you're going to the movies. And you're like, dude, I'm so excited. Sam, he's in the movies. Sam is in the movies. And then you're, like, on the sidewalk and you're, like, standing next to movie stars. And you're like, who are you here to see? Oh, I'm Leo's wife. And you're like, oh, Sam's my youth pastor. <laughs> right? And you're so pumped because I'm pumped and I'm pumped and we're pumped and we're all pumped. And so we go to the movie theater. And the credits and the lights come down. I guess that was Fox, right? Did I tell you Fox produced my movie? <laughs> awesome. As so the lights go down, the movie rolls. And it's a great movie, right? Will Smith, he's like blowing stuff up, right? And he's like the last human on earth but then he like hits a reset button because Morgan Freeman is God and speaks everything back into existence. And then Leonardo DiCaprio is like this con artist who doesn't really know what he is. And he's just like, is he insane or is he for real? And the movie's awesome. And in the last scene of the movie, oh man, dude, here it is. The last scene of the movie, all the movie stars are walking through this park, right? And the camera pans and sitting on the bench as the camera pans is me. (laughs) And I'm reading a book. And I stand up, right? And I stand up and I'm like, Boo! Did you see me? Everybody, thank you for being here. Thank you, right in the middle of the movie theater. Thank you so much for coming to the movie. Hey, autographs afterwards. I'll be in the back. Right? And everybody's like, Who is this crazy guy? And I get escorted out. I don't know why, right? They must not recognize me. Some of you and some of us, we live our lives as if the big is about us. And in reality, we're a tiny little subplot in the grand narrative friends what you want to do when you grow up how you're going to spend the 20 to 30 years of your career that is a blip on the radar and there is a much bigger picture going on friends and here's the big picture god has created humanity and even though they've sinned against him and spit in his face he's saving them that's the movie That's the big picture. That's what it's all about. And so why are we living, friends? Why are we believing the lie of our culture that the most important thing in the world is what's going on right here? Imagine, imagine living your life for the five-second pan, camera pan, instead of living about what it is about, the big picture. When the gospel takes root in your life, We see, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we see from them that when the gospel takes root in your life, you live for something that is bigger than you. You live for a cause that is bigger than you. And there's nothing more satisfying than living for that bigger picture because that's what it really is. That's what it's about. Those who learn the secret to life, they realize that the only way to live is for something bigger than them. And so that's what Epaphroditus is doing, right? Why would he leave his hometown? Why would he go and minister to Paul in prison? And, oh, wait, by the way, he got sick. And, oh, by the way, he almost died. Oh, by the way, he could have said, no, 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 no. This is way too deep. Now I'm sick. I got needs. I got to go home. And just, man, Paul, good luck. He continued to press through because when you get a big picture When you understand that when you're so deeply committed to a cause that is bigger than you, all of the obstacles and all of the difficult situations, those don't matter anymore. You're willing to go to a different part of the world. You're willing to walk across the cafeteria. You're willing to do anything for Jesus because that's the big picture. The gospel has taken root in your heart. And you have to ask yourself, what are you living for? Citizens, what are you living for? How do you know? What are you living for? Are you living for the five-second movie scene because you're an extra in your awesome movie? What are you living for? Is it something eternal? Is it something bigger than you? Let's keep going. Look at verse 19. He says, and this is key, all right? I want you to see how Paul talks here, all right? Let's take the camera off of Paul and Timothy, and let's do this. Let's go, let's pan it, and let's look at Paul. He's writing, and he says this. He goes, I hope in the Lord Jesus. That's a weird way to say, I hope in the Lord Jesus. And then later in in the the passage, he says this, I trust in the Lord that I myself will come also. Why does Paul talk like that? Do you guys talk like that? Hey, Alex, what are you doing after school? I hope in the Lord that I'm going to football practice. (laughs) Hey, are you coming to camp? God willing. Hey, are you coming to camp? I trust in the Lord that I will make my presence known at camp, right? (laughs) Do you guys talk like that to each other in school? I know on your Snapchat, so like, I know it disappears, so I can't see it, but I'm sure you talk like that. Why does Paul talk like that? It's because, number three, a person who's, living, who, who's demonstrating the gospel, they humbly submit to God's will. That's the third thing. This is the picture. Guys, please see this. I, I can stand up here for weeks on end. I can stand up here for the next five years, and I can stand up here every week and give you a bullet point. Do this. Do this. Christians don't do this. Do this. And Paul says, listen, I'm not just going to give you the instructions. Let me show you. And so I want you guys to have that visual aid. This is the way Paul lived. This is the way Timothy lived. This is the way Paphro got down in his life. And when we look at them, we see they humbly submit to God's will. Paul, he's talking about his travel plans. And he says, yeah, I'm going to send Timothy to you eventually. I'm going to send Epaphroditus now. And then further down the road, I hope that I'm going to show up. But then look what he says. I trust in the Lord. He makes his plans with this level of humility. Everybody say humility. 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 He makes his plans with a level of humility. I know some of you guys didn't really know how to pronounce it, so you're waiting for the people next to you to get it right. I know. I know. Humility. <laughs> no, right? So, so he's he's making his plans with this level of humility. He's saying Here's what I plan on doing, but ultimately, can I be real? Ultimately, real talk, God's in control. I'm making making my plans. I want to do this after high school. I probably want to go to this college. I probably want to do this with my life. But like at the end of the day, God's in control of my plans. And I'm cool with that. At the end of the day, no matter how much I plan, no matter how much I prepare, there's a part of me that realizes Jesus is my master and his will be done, not mine. I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. You know who's not cool with not being in control? My son. My son is not cool with not being in control. He's one years old, right? And he's actually, he's good. I mean, I think he's good. I mean, I don't even know what that means really, but I say he's good, right? Except he does this one thing, right? He doesn't speak English. (laughs) So annoying. And so when I'm trying to talk to my son, Micah, I, you know, I'm trying to be a reasonable adult, and I'm like, hey, Micah, you know you're not allowed to play with the outlets because of the electrical currents running through the walls, so please don't do that, right? He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't get it. Hey, Micah, you know that when you touch the cat and put your fingers in its mouth while it's eating, you know that his canines are going to puncture your skin, so please don't do that, and he doesn't listen, and so the only way that I can get through to this little human being who is so ignorant that he doesn't speak English, the only way that I can get through to him is I grab him by the arms and I put his arms at his side and I just, I give him a firm hu- hug, right? And I give him a little, and I just give him a little, like, a little squeeze just to, just to, like, stop his actions because he's, ah, electrical current. He's, like, licking his finger, putting it in the socket. I'm like, this, he literally knows nothing, right? And so I grab his hands and I hold him aside. I go, Micah. Micah, and he always goes like this, he goes, Arr! he does that. I'm not kidding. I should have video evidence for you next week because he'll do it tonight. Unless he's in bed. He should be in bed. I hope he's in bed. God, please, Lord will. He's in bed. And so I hold his hands at his side, and he feels constricted because he realizes in that moment, I'm not in control. My will is not being done. There is someone else who's imposing his will. Who is this guy? I made you, all right? I imagine God saying that, right? When like people are like, Christianity is stupid. Who are you? And God's like, I made you. <laughs> All right? I now understand God's heart so much more because I have a kid, right? <laughs> like, that's kind of hilarious. I made him. <laughs> Should I not get to control every single thing he does? I mean, I know that's never mind. Parenting. I'm ranting right now. Anyway, so I hold him at his side, and he has this realization: I'm not in control. I have desires, I have some tentative plans, but my father is imposing his will over mine and he overrid my will. Mike is not okay with that, but we see that a person who's living out the gospel is 100% okay with that. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, man, I'm planning on doing this, but you know what? If God intervenes, if God stops it, if he sends me somewhere else, I trust the Lord. I hope in the Lord. Let's look at the last thing. Number four, the fourth thing that we see, A person who's living out the gospel. Look at verse 22. Verses 22. He says about Timothy, he says, you know, say, you know, you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. A son, everybody say son, father. Whoa, there's a partnership there. And then he looks at Epaphroditus, and he says, I love this line. This is going to be like my, new ta- my newest tattoo for my new small group, right? Hashtag the brotherhood. Look what he says. He goes, he's my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. The fourth thing we see, friends, those who are living out the gospel, they develop gospel-centered community. How many people know that when Paul said, yo, this dude, he's my brother. He's my fellow soldier. He's like my, what's the other word in there? Who has their Bible open? My brother, my fellow worker, right? How many people know they were more than Facebook friends? Right? Paul was more than Facebook friends with these dudes. He did more than Snapchat with them on the weekends. I'll never forget. We were at a a student leader meeting. No, no, no. It was, it was some dudes hanging out in my office, and they were, we were talking about who's coming to camp, and they were like, oh, yeah, that guy's coming to camp. And I go, what's his name? I don't know. You know that guy with the thing? I go, what's his name? I don't know. I just follow him on Snapchat. I'm like, you don't even know the guy's name, right? Like, alert, alert, something's wrong here. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul has developed these friendships, he's developed this brotherhood, and they are gospel centered. Do you guys know how to make friends? No, no, like you really know how to make friends. I, I was like that kid when I got to college. Something snapped in me, and like I no longer was just chill. Like in high school, I was class clown. I was relaxed. I loved me, and then I got to college and I hated me. I still hate my college self, right? <laughs> can't talk about it. No, but something happened in college where I just got so just intense and I started getting in my own head and I overthought everything. And I was like, I don't know how to develop friendships. And so I did what any sensible person would do at college. I created an equation <laughs> for friends. So here's my, can I share it with you? There's no variables. There's no X's or Y's, but this is my, my, my equation for friendship. Ready? Hit it. You guys like visual aids. All right. I'll tell it to you because you love visual aids. I will tell it to you. Here's my my equation for friendship. Friendship equals common interest plus close proximity. Friendship equals common interest. Yo, you're in my sixth period English class. So am I. That's redundant (laughs) because it's my sixth period English class, right? Oh, no way. You're on the rugby team? So am I. Dude, you love ponies? So do I, right? Hypothetically speaking. And so there's a common interest there. But how many people know that just because I play rugby doesn't mean I'm friends with the person who plays rugby in New York City, right? How many people love rugby, right? How many people love football? How many people are in band, right? I love bandos, but I'm not kicking it with the bando in Michigan. Friendship equals common interest plus close proximity. Here's what happens. You graduate high school, and everybody always tells you, your friends from high school are not gonna be there forever. Only your college friends. And what does every single high schooler do? No! No! Right? And I was that kid. I was like, dude, my high school friendships are like forever, right? And then we put on, like, Michael W. Smith, because your friends are friends forever. And then we go to, like, senior night, and then, like, we give out roses and M&Ms, and we're like, that seals our friendship forever. But what happens? What was our common interest? We were in the same school, in the same class and program. What was our close proximity? Union High School, Mountain View High School. You remove one of those pieces of the equation. What happens? Does not equal Friendship. I'm just being real. Upperclassmen, hear me, okay? This is what happens. Friendship equals common interest plus close proximity. And here's my point to you, friends. Here's why I want you to look at the example of Paphro and Timothy and Paul. They developed friendships of substance. They developed friendships, brotherhoods, that were based on more than my favorite football team. They developed friendships that were based on their common salvation. That's why he calls them my fellow brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, right? What if we called each other? Yo, what's up, soldier? Dude, that's our new thing, right? Where are the boys at? Say, soldier. Next time you greet a boy, look at him and be like, yo, what's up, soldier? That's our new nickname for everybody. I just started that. Shh. So here's what we do. So here's what we do. Here's what we do, friends. I'm convinced that what we do in this culture, we don't spend time with friends. We don't spend time with friends. You know what we do? We waste time with friends. We don't spend time with friends. We waste time with friends. We get together and we talk about everything under the sun. Hey, this happened in class. And oh my gosh, did you see this on TV? And oh my gosh, let's watch Netflix. And then we get together. We don't even talk. We text. What would it look like if we developed friendships and we went deep? What would it look like if we got together and we talked about things of substance? What would it look like if we got together with our boys, our fellow soldiers, and we were transparent? And we talked about where we were at in our relationship with Jesus, right, soldier? Soldier, right? What if we went deep and we talked about our genuine fears? What if we went deep and we talked about our genuine struggles and our questions about Christianity? What if we connected not over the fact that we both like the same color, but over the fact that Jesus has saved us and brought us to the table together? Friendships that are based on the gospel last forever. Friendships that are based on the gospel last forever. And here's why. I can't pick up the phone right now and talk to my boy Drew Pa from high school. That was his nickname, Drew Pa. I can't talk to him right now because what was our common interest? We caused havoc in our high school. Mrs. Reduzi loved us. The Dues. we called her the Dues. She loved us. I can't talk to him anymore because our common interest no longer exists. Right? Bro, so uh what are we going to do tomorrow? If we're not in high school anymore, all right? That friendship has been erased. But when your common interest, I have friends from college, and our common interest is that we grew together in the gospel. We, we journeyed together. We cried together. We worshiped together. We sang together. We did all these things together. I can call up any one of my boys from college, and I can be like, bro, here's where I'm at right now. And we pick up right where we left off because friendships that are based on the gospel last forever. And so look at the example of these men, friends. Look at the example and say, how can I be developing friendships of depth? Who are the friendships in my life right now that I want them to be in my life for the rest of my life? And so I'm going to start going deep with them. I'm going to start developing genuine friendships. I'm going to start opening up and talking about what the gospel is doing in my life. And oh, by the way, I have no idea what the gospel is. Talk about it. But is that okay? Can I confess that? Yes, People who are living out the gospel, they develop gospel-centered community.